0: Well good morning Overflow church. who's excited to be in church today? About five or six of us that's perfect. Thank you guys so much. My name is Corey I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm excited to jump into part three of this series called Summer Deep Dive. How many of you recognize that track? Anybody recognize that track? Don't admit that this is church I'm just kidding. Um, Now, hopefully from this point forward, whenever you hear rolling down in the deep, you're reminded of Colossians chapter three. And if it's your first time here, you're looking at my wardrobe and you're like, oh, it's that kind of church, a crazy one. Um, I will explain it in a second because the title of my message today is suit up, suit up. Look at your neighbor and say suit up. Tell him suit up. I love it. Like say it like you mean it. Tell him to suit up. Dominique, suit up. There's no one next to you, so I'll be your neighbor. Yeah, and welcome to all you guys joining us online. We are going to jump right in because we got a lot of ground to cover. It's been a fun summer going through in the month of June, the book of Philippians. In the month of July, we've been in the book of Colossians, and we're going to finish them next week. It's going to, Anybody enjoy the summer series? Wow. Okay. no, 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 I don't want your pity clap. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it has been fun. Um, But I hope really the theme of these two books gets inside of you because the theme for the book of Philippians, we've said it week after week, was joy, was joy. And we could all use a dose of not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is Hollywood. Happiness is a sunset or a rose given to you or a good burger. Happiness is cool, but it's momentary. We need joy. We need joy that surpasses understanding and circumstances. And that's what we learned about in the book of Philippians. And then in Colossians, it's really this like, theological mantra that that Paul lofts at the church in Colossae, defending the church from these two main attacks. And the overall theme of the entire letter of Colossians is this, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. And if you've ever wondered what we really believe here at Overflow or at our Water's Edge churches, we believe in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. What that means is, like, he's above all, that is supreme, like, he, he's the best, he's the ruler, he's the king, he's the guy, like, that's who Jesus is. He is above all, and he's all we need. That's what sufficient means. And that, that's a real place when you can come to relying on Jesus in those two ways. And so, like I said, we're going to go right to Colossians chapter 3 today. We're going to cover the first half, and then next week, um, I gave Chad the light lifting of finishing out chapter 3 Um, Chad next week is going to start in verse 18 which reads wives submit to your husbands so I'm going to let Chad cover that next week if you're interested in that now some of you are looking at me like what in the yeah so I'm excited that he gets to do that Um, but I'm going to cover the first 17 verses and we're just going to jump right in and it'll make sense hopefully why I look like Joseph in the coat of many colors and or Ronald McDonald right now look this is the best I could do at the thrift store you'll see why yeah I just needed a big one all right verse one y'all ready one of you, I'll do it for you, the one of you said I know all of you online typed in the chat room, I'm ready, and here they're all holding it in, but they are. Verse one reads, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So again, if you haven't been with us for the first 2 weeks of this second half of the summer deep dive where we covered Colossians chapter 1 and 2, Paul kind of came out in 1 and 2 and he was defending and even getting offensive with all those different things that were attacking the church. We used some big words, we learned some big words last week, in chapter 2, the four main attacks that Paul was like not just like defending, but smashing with the sword that was the pen was asceticism, mysticism, intellectualism and legalism. Some of you're like, "Oh, what?" That's a lot of isms. Yeah. What it basically meant is people were misconstruing what Jesus really wanted us to do and how he wanted us to live. And Paul came up against that and said, hey, again, it's all and always only about Jesus. And so in chapter three, he kind of turns and looks at the Christ followers. So if you believe in Jesus here today at Overflow or watching online, I I feel like y'all can't take me seriously right now. Like I'm trying to preach and I can just see some of y'all looking at me like, "When's okay. But if you believe in Jesus, this is for you. So he turns to anybody that said yes to Jesus. So off the bat, let me just say, if you're here just checking out God, checking out church, maybe a friend kind of invited you and you're just kind of hanging out before y'all go to the beach today. First off, welcome. We're really glad you're here. Second, like you're one of the main reasons we do this is because we just want to let you know that God really loves you. And he loves us and we love you. And then third, like I hope as we read this, you'll be encourage that this is the way that people that say they want to follow Jesus are actually supposed to act. So maybe it'll introduce you to the Jesus that we really try and model after. But he says, if you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you say yes to Jesus, if you follow him, seek the things that are above. What's the inference there? If there are things above, what does that mean? Come on, class, there we go, all right, yeah, yeah, right? Is that hard. If there are things that are above, that means there are things Below. If there are things above, that means there are things that are below. So right here off the bat, he says, hey, Christ followers, hey, overflow ites, hey, anybody that said yes to Jesus, you have two options every day. Every day you have two options. You can seek things that are above or seek things that are below. That's it. You have two ways to really run your life. Oh, let there be light. Amen. That's nice. Um, You have two ways to really run your life in a kingdom heaven above way or in a below earthly culture way. And right off the bat what he's he's getting at is as Christ followers we think about life and our existence heaven down not earth and its culture up. We make decisions kingdom heavenly minded down not earth and its culture up. As soon as you are a Christ follower and you're raised to life and you're going yeah I'm down with following Jesus What he's saying is even the way you think has to entirely shift. The paradigm flips top down, not bottom up kingdom down, not earth up. So he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. By the way, did you know Christ is seated at the right hand of God right now? Like if you are new to church Christianity, we actually believe that. We believe Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. Then he ascended into heaven. And right now, he's sitting next to the Father, waiting to come back and establish his rule and reign. That's actually what we believe. Isn't that awesome? And it's not that he's sitting up there being negligent as bad things happen, he's sitting up there being patient, allowing more and more people to come to the knowledge of him. And I'm so grateful for the patience. Of Jesus and the patience of God. I got one amen. I appreciate you on that. That's just the first verse. Okay, here we go. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above. Everybody say above on the count of three. One, two, three. Set your mind, minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. See, he reiterates, you have two options. Do life earth way or do life heaven's way. Y'all see that, right? What did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? In other words, our entire job every single day is to reach up and pull some heaven down to earth, is to reach up and make Benton Harbor, is to reach up and make St. Joe, is to reach up and make Stevensville, is to reach up and make Kingston, is to reach up and make America look more and more like heaven. That's our job. And here he says the way you do that is you train your mind... To think about heavenly things. And that is a way in which you manifest and bring down a heaven-like culture here on earth. Guys, it's about to get serious. Y'all ready? No, you're not? Okay, it's cool. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Ooh, that's good. In God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What that's saying there, guys, is you are not who you were meant to be yet. Like that's like culturally like a no-no right now. If I said, hey, you're not the full version of you. You're not the real you. We're like, yes, I am. But here it says, no, 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 no. How God made you to be, your fullest potential and all of your perfection and glory will be revealed when Christ comes back. And for some of us, we're like, whew, because there are things I do not like about myself right now. Like praise God I haven't arrived, right? And some of us, we push back, we're like, I like who I am. That's good. Self-confidence is good. But the realization that, like, the ultimate fruition of who you are is in Christ and revealed when he comes back, that just gives us something to look forward to. Can I get an amen? Everybody that's trying to get in shape, keep trying to get in shape. But just know that glorious body will be revealed one day when Jesus comes down, right? It's going to look, amen. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Maybe I'll be taller. It'll be great. (laughs) Don't laugh that hard at that. Verse 5. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. That's some serious verbiage. Murder it. Put to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So here, he, he uses some, some harsh words. Why? Because things that are heavenly are good for us and bring life in our lives. Things that are of below, things that are of the earth and its patterns and its culture ultimately have a root of sin, and sin does what? It brings death in our lives. So what he says is put to death in you what brings death. How many of you know you can't play with something that brings death in you? Like, if there's a virus, we just got through a pandemic season, right? And the reason we were so bent on finding a vaccination and finding a cure is because there's a chance that if that gets in us, it will kill us. And if something can kill you when it gets in you, you don't play with it. You don't play with it. You do what you can to stay away from it and or put it to death if it is in you. Am I making sense here? You don't play with what can kill you. Sin can kill you. It kills you. So here he's saying, put it to death before it kills you. But what does that look like? And In the next few verses, Paul, the apostle Paul, writing from a Roman prison, is going to tackle sexuality, relationships, and identity. Your sexuality, relationships, and y'all, I told you we're going in today. Y'all ready for this? It's just a few verses. Some of you. Okay, here we go. He says, put it to death. And then he says this, verse 6. This is what we should put to death. Sexual immorality. Y'all are like, really? I brought my friend today. We're going to talk about sexual immorality? Really? No, here, let me just say this. Can I just say this? This is going to sound funny. I'm just going to say stuff. Because if you didn't know, I'm like the interim lead pastor. And so that means like, you know, we don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I can say, like, really offensive things if they're in the Bible, and if it upsets you, just hang around. It's not going to be me long term, so it's fine. Um, but, like, at, at Overflow, we love sex. Ah! You that silence. Some of you are like, I've never heard a pastor say that. Why do we love sex? Because God created sex, and sex is a good thing. Can I get an Amen. Here's why I say that, guys. Because most of us, I've said this last week, most of us have been raised in churches where we're told sex is dirty, sex is awful, sex will hurt you, stay away from it, save it for marriage. And we're like, that sounds awful. Why would I save that for marriage? Like, gross, right? But rather, I think we should teach what's true and in the Bible. God created sex, it's amazing, and God loves you so much, he wants you to experience it in the best way possible. And when we step out of God's design, it's called sin. You know what sin actually means? It just means to miss the mark. It's an archery term, and you're going for the bullseye, and when you miss the mark, they would say you sinned. When it comes to sexual morality, when it comes to our sex lives, God gave us a mark to aim at. He said, I have created something amazing and something beautiful, and here's the way it's supposed to be done. A man and a woman in the context of marriage, that's the mark. And anytime we miss that mark, what we're actually doing is settling for a lesser version of something that God created for us to be amazing. And so like in churches, I want us to educate, especially our young people, not to be afraid of it, not to fear it, not to think it's gross and nasty, but rather be so excited about it in the right context that you see it's worth it to wait. Can I get an amen? And sexual, sexual morale, and most of us clap and mess that up, guys. I want to let you know. Most of us clapping are clapping because we're like, please do better than us, because we carry all sorts of baggage into the right context because we don't do it right. Does that make sense? Sexual morality here is this Greek word porneo. It's where we get the modern day word pornography. It's this idea of a, of a manipulation and a lesser version of what God intended for us. So anything outside of a man and a woman in a committed marital relationship is sexual immorality. That's missing the mark. The good news is, is there's forgiveness for all of us that have messed up, and God still intends something good for us if we'll do it in his way, amen? So he says, yeah, that's it. We'll just go right at the hard stuff, and I gotta get to my points real quick because I'm about to burst out in sweat. Here we go. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity. Impurity, like, when I say the word pure, what comes to mind? Shout it out. What comes to mind when I say the word pure? Rain? Yeah. I think of water, like a pure water. Yeah, what else comes to mind? Don't be scared. There's no wrong answers. If you don't know what to say in church, just say Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, good, good, good job, right? No, it, it, and it's actually kind of hard nowadays, right? Like when you think of purity. What, yeah, like, like I think of like a, a sunrise. I think of, like, clean water. I, I think of, like, a, a newborn baby, like, in a sense of innocence, you know, even though they're not, but I, but I think of them that way. Like, but, but here he's saying, like, we've got to put to death sexual morality, doing sex, because sex becomes an idol, and we'll talk about that in a second. But he says impurity. Purity usually infers a sexual connotation today. Like, are you pure or not pure? Are you pure or you're not pure, right? But he says, if there's something impure, in other words, if it's not good, if it's not clean, see, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Sexual morality, things that aren't impure, and then he takes it a step further. Your passion. Now, let me be clear on that. What he's saying when he says passion is not positive passion. There's positive passions that we need to have and that we cling to in life. A passion for Jesus, a passion for his kingdom, a passion for our family. These are good things. But what he's saying is these sexual and moral thoughts, these impure thoughts can lead to a passion for them that overtake us. And become what drives us in life. And then he takes it a step further. Things that we got to just like get out of our lives. Evil desire and covetousness. Covetousness is a long word. What coveting is, is when you want something that's not yours. So when the Bible says thou shalt not covet, what that means is don't want things that aren't yours to have. Like in other words, don't desire, like I got to have it, I got to have it, I got to have it. Coveting, what I actually think happens growing up, like in our teen years and adult lives, y'all have heard like the word lust, right? And we would say, don't look at a woman lustfully. Don't look at a man lustfully. In other words, don't think of them in a sexual way. And we'd go, oh, if I slip up and think about them in a sexual way, then I'm lusting. I actually think it's not lust. I actually think we're sinning the sin of covetousness. Because when we look at another person, a human being, and we start to think about them in a sexual way, what we're doing is we're looking at someone else's potential husband or wife, and we're thinking about them in a way that only they get to have them. So we're actually saying what belongs to someone else or potentially belongs to someone else, I'm going to think about it as if it's mine. That's coveting. So when we think about other human beings in that way, we're actually coveting someone else's husband or wife. That, you can have those thoughts for your husband or wife. You, I'm not going to go there. Um, anyways... <laughs> another sermon for a different crowd, marriage talk. Yeah. And then he says, he lands it. He says, all these things kind of result in idolatry, idolatry. That's a big word, but it's a simple sin. Idolatry is when you put anything in the place of God in your life. And we're like, we don't have idols, right? We don't have like a golden bull up here that we're all like, praise you, bull, right? We don't, we're like, I don't suffer from idolatry. But again, Anything that takes the place of God in your life. How do you know if something is taking the place of God in your life? If before you make a decision, you consider it before you consider God. It's an idol. Hey, I want to do this. We should go here. We should do that. Well, how much money do we have? Ooh, are you running your decision by your bank account or your God first? Which one? Uh, oh, um, we need to do this. We need to do that. We, I have this job opportunity. Well, what, how is it going to affect the kids? That's a good question. But the first question should be, is God leading us there? If you run it by your kids and their schedules, before you run it by God, your kids are an idol. Oh, we just go go there. Let's have fun, right? Like, our marriages can become idols. Our careers can become idols. Guys, church and ministry can become an idol. Isn't that crazy? The enemy can slide so stealthily something in between us and God if we're not careful. And what he's saying here is like even sex can become an idol. And y'all know this. Relationships can become an idol. All these things we can, it's not a bad thing to consider them. But if we are kingdom minded, if we are kingdom down, heaven down, we consider God and his kingdom first in all decisions. That means he's on the throne of our hearts. So that's just an easy litmus test. You know what I mean? Like, even when you go out of here today, I'm not trying to be like really legalistic on you, but like, I don't know how many of you ever have left church and said, what do we want for lunch? And then stopped and asked, hey, my appetite is not my idol. God, where do you want us to eat lunch? Because maybe he wants you to sit next to somebody and encourage somebody. Maybe he wants you to take someone out to lunch. If we would consider God in the kingdom, it would be surprising what would happen, even in mundane daily decisions. Y'all track with me? Thank you, Joel. I appreciate that encouragement. You're a really good listener active listening. And here is where it really comes in. So he's saying, these are things we got to put to death in us, this idolatry, this covetousness, this evil desire. We know we don't like those. But then he says in verse six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I don't have time to really get into this. And like, I consider overflow to be a joyful place where we overflow the peace of God, the joy of God. It's like, I'm excited to be alive. But one of the reasons I'm excited to be alive and one of the reasons I love Jesus is because of the wrath of God. Like, are y'all cool if I just talk about the wrath of God for a second? Like, this, don't worry, I'm not gonna get all Southern Baptists on you, like, the hellfire is coming for you. That's not. But the wrath of God is a real thing. The, the penalty of sin, the penalty of missing the mark, isn't just hell, isn't just death. The penalty of those things is the wrath of God. C.S. Lewis says, who's a famous author, theologian, wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He says this, he says, there is no worse place to be in the universe than on the opposing end of an all-powerful being's wrath. If you believe God is all-powerful, then the last thing you want is an all-powerful being's wrath to be pointed at you. That's why when it says on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God. He didn't just take on hell and death. He took the wrath of God for those of us that say yes to Jesus. That follow God. And that's a big that should be enough every day to make you wake up and go, Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Praise Jesus. And you know why the wrath of God exists? Because God is just. Because He's just. And where there is justice, there has to be penalty. But He is also merciful and graceful, and that He sent someone to pay that penalty for us. And it's funny with wrath, like when you're the one that's wronged, you get wrathful right? Like, when, when somebody owes you money, if somebody owes you $10,000, you're like, you should pay all $10,000, right? Right, And if they don't, it's like, okay, we're gonna take you to court, and the judge is like, pay 10000 Like, that's the wrath. That's justice, right? And we're like, yeah, that's what you should do. If you're owed the money, you have that wrath. But when you flip that, let's say you owe somebody $10,000. What do we then do? Well, hey, we, we, just, we, we just take a hundred. But if you're owed, you're like, no, you owe me 10K. But you're like, ah, but mercy, bro, grace, right? And and what the wrath of God is, it's like there is a penalty for what we owe. And we go to the courtroom and the judge says, yeah, you do owe the full penalty. You owe $10,000. And Jesus walks in, drops a stack on, on the bench and says, I took care of it. You're out. You're free. You're free to go. I paid That's what Jesus did for us. He paid the penalty of the wrath of God. And here he says, if we live in these ways, if we live culture up, if we live earth up, then what is in store for us is the wrath of God. But praise be to God, we don't have to encounter that because of Jesus. And he says in verse 7, in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And in the next few verses, he's going to use these two phrases, put on and put away. It, it, it's kind of like, put it on and take it off. Does that make sense? So here he's saying, put these things away. Take these things off. And for the next couple moments, we're gonna talk about what we need to take off. Look at your neighbor and say, you better take it off. Tell him. Now, we're, j- calm down, Overflow. I know some of you come from different backgrounds. We're talking metaphorically here. But he says, every day when we wake up, naturally, we wake up looking like this. Not matching, not looking like the way we need to. We wake up with things on us and in our personality that if we are intentional, we walk around with them all day. And he's saying, but to be heaven down, to be kingdom down and not earth up, there are things that we wake up with on the earth that we have to take off consciously. You gotta take it off. The first one, he says, but take off anger, anger, So I got this red jacket to represent anger, right? Anger, anger. And he says, take it off. Everybody on the count of three, say, take it off. One, two, three. Take it off. Oh, you got excited back there. Hey, no, all right. Every day, just like I took off this anger jacket, we've got to wake up and consciously think, I'm not going to be angry today. I'm I'm going to take it off. I'm going to take that off today. See, anger isn't a sin. The Bible says in your anger, do not sin. But anger can lead to sin. Anger is a seed that bubbles up and can control us if we're not consciously reminding ourselves, I got to take that off. And then he says this, but you got to take these things off, take off anger. And then he says, take off your wrath. So anger is, oh, I'm mad. I'm mad. It's on the inside. But I got this yellow jacket for wrath. By the way, this jacket is flat. It's like the four-button one. I got it at a Goodwill, and I am definitely going to wear this for some occasion. But um, he says you got to take off wrath. What is wrath? Wrath is when anger starts to manifest itself physically. So anger is just like I'm, I'm angry on the inside, but you can't tell. Wrath is crazy eyes. Y'all know that person when they get crazy eyes? Clinch fists, clenched teeth. Wrath. It's when anger starts to manifest itself. And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. you got to take it off. Everybody say, take it off. Take it off. <laughs> She's like, where is this going? I'm just staying to see. to <laughs> so you got to take off the wrath. You take off the anger, you take off the wrath. In other words, these are conscious decisions. And then he says, it's not enough to take off anger and wrath, but he says, you got to take off malice. Now, we don't use that word much anymore, like malice. I feel malice today. Malice can kind of almost look cool, but, but anger, malice is when you start to plan out your anger and wrath. Malice is, oh, I'm going to post about them. Oh, wait until I say this. Oh, I know this is going to hurt them when I say this. Malice is when these things start to come to plans in your mind. And you say, whoa, whoa, if you're not careful to take off anger and wrath, then it eventually it'll be malice. And you just got to recognize that and take it off. Everybody say take it off. Again, don't get, this is, this is spiritual, guys. This is spiritual. But you got to take it off. And then he says, anger, wrath, malice, slander. Again, we don't use that term. You're such a slanderer. Nobody says that. Sounds like salamander. Like, you slander, but, but slander is when you start to degrade people's character. Slander is when anger, wrath, and malice come to fruition. Slander is you always blank, you never blank, and you are Blank. That's slander. How many of you have been in a fight like that? Right? Some of you won't admit it in church. Don't be a liar. But like when you get angry and then you think about what you're going to say and then it comes out of your mouth and it's you are blank. You always blank. You never blank. You are this. You never this. And you always this. That is slander. It's when we attack and chop down someone's character. And Jesus would say that doesn't lead To heavenly things, that doesn't lead to the peace and joy of the Lord, that doesn't lead to the kingdom fruit you wanna see in your life, so you better take it off. Anytime you're tempted to attack someone's character, anytime you're tempted, those are just some three easy examples. You are blank, you never blank, and you always blank. Modern day counseling psychology would tell us the words never and always should never be used in a fight because they're just not true. You never blank, you always blank, you are blank. When we say those things, we realize we are wearing all of that garbage. And we need to take it off. off. There you go. We're getting it. So he says, take off the anger, take off the wrath, take off the malice, take off the slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Ooh, now we're getting practical. He says, that obscene talk, that doesn't look that bad because everybody does it, right? This is my best. We say, you got to take that off. Say, "Take take it off. Obscene talk doesn't mean cussing, by the way. Can I just say that? Cussing can be obscene, depending on the culture, but you can look at somebody and say you're ugly and mean it, and that's worse than cussing at them. That's obscene talk. Obscene talk is anything that's not edifying, anything that doesn't build people up, anything that's not encouraging, things, again, that tear people down, and I just don't want to get legalistic and be like, oh, yeah, pastor said don't cuss. That's not what I'm saying, I'll just tell you a quick story because it's is overflow and I can. One of my favorite prayers I ever heard in college, um, we had led this guy to the Lord. He was a, the president of a really popular fraternity at the University of Florida. And I will never forget the first time he got invited to our Bible study in our home. We had a small group of Bible study in my little apartment at the University of Florida. And this guy, he comes in, looks cool, got it all together. He's buff. He's jacked. Big fraternity president. I was really surprised he came to a Bible study. And about midway or about at the end of the Bible study, he said, Hey guys, I love this. I wanna believe it, but honestly, I am just enjoying myself too much. I like sex too much and I like partying too much. So thanks, but no thanks. And I just looked at him and said, dude, thank you so much for being honest. Thank you for coming. Please come back, you know, just keep learning. And he came back and he was like, openly, like, no, I'm gonna live this way, but I'm gonna keep learning. And he came back and he came back and he came back. And I'll never forget after about eight small group gatherings, this fraternity president that was all about getting laid and paid, like that was his MO, he sits with us in a circle and he gives his life to Jesus. And I was just like, whoa, like it was amazing what it was to invite somebody back that isn't living the right lifestyle yet. But then again, under obscene talk, I'll never forget this and I probably shouldn't tell the story, but like he said his first prayer a couple weeks later. I was like, hey man, you want to pray? And this is what he prayed. He was like, God, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you for my friends. You know that normal stuff? Like, thank you for food. Um, thank you for my fraternity brothers. And then he goes, God, you're you're the shh. I didn't say it. But he said this in his prayer. And when he said that, you should have saw everybody that went to church in the circle went, like, look up. And I kind of, like, looked up and saw everybody was in shock. And I just went, Amen. Because in his language, that was the highest praise he could give. In his language, that was his high praise. Now, I don't think you should say that. Let me be clear. But again, that wasn't obscene. I actually think that may have put a smile on God's face because it came from his heart. It was real. Later, he learned, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't say it. But y'all track it with me? So obscenity is less about the semantics and more about the heart behind the words. You could come into church and get a lot of obscene talk, and it's disguised with, hey, brother, how you doing, right? It's about the heart behind it. You say, we got to take that off. So you got to take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And then he says, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. You got to take off lies. You're like, oh, my gosh. Take it off. Somebody say, take it off. off. You got to take off lies. Because all these things will result in you lying to yourself and lying to others. And nothing breaks down a family, a community, a team, an organization, a church more than when we lose trust. And when we lose trust, that is called lying. And you know why we lie? Because we're ashamed and we want to cover things up. And the best part about when you take these things off, you have very little to cover up. And so you don't have to lie. And he says, so finally we take these things off. These come naturally to us every day. Seeing that you have put off the old self. Ultimately... You got to get down to the bare bones and realize every day, am I acting like my old earthly self, like earthly culture, or am I acting like a heavenly citizen? Can I just say this? You are a resident of earth, but you are a citizen of heaven. You are a resident of Benton Harbor, of St. Joe, of the United States, but you are a citizen of heaven. This is where we are presently, but it is not our home. That's why when we say yes to Jesus, when we follow him, we think heaven first. We think kingdom first, not culture up, but kingdom down. And he says, you got to put away the old self. Don't worry, I got one on underneath. I just need to talk. But he said, ultimately, you got to take off the old self. And you got to get down to that foundation, that pure, who am I in Jesus? Who am I? And and when you wake up, if you don't intentionally take it off, that's what you walk around with. It has to be a conscious decision every day to think kingdom down, not culture up, and to take it off. Somebody say "Take take it off. But the cool part is, is we don't walk around like this either. Because Paul goes on to say, but you must put them all away, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he said, Hey, you get down to this and then you recognize we're all the same. I like to say it like this the ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of us, no pastor gets extra privileges of forgiveness at the cross. No Christ follower or deacon or small group leader or worship leader is better than anyone else in this room. The ground is level. But here Paul gets real poignant. He says there's no Greek nor Jew. What are those? Those are ethnicities. Even borderline races. So what is he saying? If you've said yes to Jesus, you are a kingdom family member before you are a white guy or a black woman or Asian or Hispanic. And that's... Yeah. Amen. But that can get touchy. That can get touchy today, especially like hashtag for the culture. No hashtag for the kingdom before the culture. I'm just saying it. And especially on a day where we are championing our brothers and sisters from all races and colors, especially at overflow. But this is why we do it because we're all the same. We are we celebrate our heritage, we celebrate what we've learned. But here he says, hey, one of you have been oppressed and enslaved and treated unjustly for generations. Jews. And one of you, Greeks, are privileged. And at the top of the socioeconomic ladder, Gentiles, Greeks, and he's saying, In the kingdom, there's neither. There's neither. You are brothers and sisters and neither are better than the other. So learn from both heritages, but understand your kingdom heritage supersedes, trumps your earthly heritage. That's huge, and that is, there is freedom to be found in that when you can come to that place but it changes everything. He says there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, it doesn't matter if you grew up in the law or in the church or if you're brand new to it. All, all it is is about Jesus. There's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. You get to a place where you can take everything off and realize it doesn't matter who I am, where I came from, we're grateful for it. But more important than all that is that God loves me. He created me. He sent his son to live and die and resurrect for me. And at the beginning of the day, if I can take all that old self off, I stand affirmed and secure in him. It's a good place to be. But then he says, That's not enough, guys. Because if you walk out like this, you still aren't kingdom down. Then he says in verse 12, Put on then. You got to put something on. It's not enough to take it off. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Let me break that down real fast for y'all. Did you know if you've said yes to Jesus, you have been chosen? Somebody say, I'm chosen. Say it like you mean it. Say, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Like some of you on the basketball court in elementary school, you were always picked first. Some of us know what it's like to be picked last. Some of us know what it's like to not be picked at all. The, the wording here is, is that of like a child, an orphan without a family. And a family, a couple with no reason to want that child, adopts them into the family. You are chosen by the creator of the universe. He picked you. He picked you. I mean, today you can wake up and go, it doesn't matter if he didn't choose me. It don't matter if she didn't choose me. God chose me. And that's what matters the most. He says, you're chosen. And then he says, let me, where did I stop? Yeah, and a ball he's put on the, where am I at? Sorry, guys what verse is it? This is very unprofessional. There it is. 12. Put on the chosen. Holy. Holy means set apart. God gives you a word that he uses to describe himself in scripture. You're holy. You're set apart. In other words, there's a purpose and a plan God has for you. Not only did he pick you, but he has a plan and purpose for you. You're holy. And some of you are like, I don't feel holy. I know what I thought last night. I sound more like that first list than this one. But God, when he sees you, he sees a chosen son or daughter. He sees someone that is holy, and then he sees his beloved. Now, ladies, when I say beloved, some of you are like, yes, I am my beloved, and he is mine. But fellas, when I say beloved, you're like, cool, right? Because we don't use that word. We're not like, what up, dap? hey, beloved, like, you'd be like, you're not my friend anymore, right? (laughs) Like, we don't use that term, like, beloved, yeah, like, but hear this, man, when he says beloved, think of this, think of a dad that kneels down to his son and just says, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Men, that's something that many of us have never heard in our lives from our fathers, and God's a good father, and when he says beloved, it's like he's looking at you, and he's saying, hey, Man to man, God to man, my son, I love you and I'm proud of you. It's important for us to hear that. So he's saying when we take all that off, we are chosen, we are holy, and we are loved. That's how we can start the day. You talk about not struggle with insecurity when you start the day with that. You talk about not struggle with anxiety and depression when you can take all that off and start the day in this spot. But then he says you got to put some stuff on. He says, put on then as God's chosen, holy and beloved ones, compassion. Everybody say compassion on the count of three, one, two, three. He says, you got to put on compassionate hearts. So every morning when I wake up, one of the things I put on is my wedding ring. Now, this wedding ring does not make me married. This is something I say all the time. Like when I put it on, guess what? I'm married. When I take this ring off, guess what? Uh, You better believe I'm married. My wife would kill me if I thought that's how it worked, right? Like this is just a symbol. But I put it on because it matters. I put it on because I need to remember something and it helps me remember something. And he's saying every day we have to put on compassion. What is compassion? It is co-passion. This reminds me of compassion because passion means I am going to passionately care for the interest of others. I'm going to passionately join in with others in a co-passion to care about others more than I care about myself. Put on compassion every day when somebody yells at you and they're angry at you you can get angry and wrathful and maliceful and slander and you can put on all this garbage or you can start from a place of compassion and when somebody starts showing their anger and wrath and all that they forgot to take off you can look at them and go what happened to you why are you so angry compassion it changes the way we interact with people so he says first i'll put on compassionate hearts And then he says, put on kindness, put on kindness. Now, for kindness here, I have some bracelets I wear because they were gifts. And so they just kind of remind me of people being kind to me. And I wear these often. One of them has my wife's name on it. It was a gift from a, a pastor. And he said, hey, I want you to wear what's most important to you every day, your faith and your family. And I put these on every day because they just remind me to be kind, If I can get it on with a mic. Joel, I didn't think through this. Let's see. Yes, got it. Yeah. But I put them on every day because they remind me. to be. How many of you could use some kindness in your life? Kindness is a choice every day. You wake up and go, I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to be kind today. And he says, put on compassion, put on kindness. Then he says, put on humility, put on humility. Now, I, I, I grabbed my watch because it's always time to be humble. Can I get amen? It's always time to be humble. It's always time. If any of you are wearing a watch today, every time you look at it, just remember, it's time to be humble. It's always time to be humble. Is that? Okay, I thought that was like my phone. I was like, amen, it's time to be humble. Like an alarm went off, right? But we got to put on humility. What is humility? The, The actual word here in the Greek, humility means to know your place. It means to know your place. So if I'm a kid, humility means to know I'm not the parent and I know my place. And so while I am in their household, while I am under their care and protection and they pay for every aspect of my life, I need to know my place and be humble and recognize their authority. That means if I'm a CEO at an office, I need to know my place and accept the responsibility of leadership humbly. It's always time to be humble, and we have to choose every day to put it on, to put it on. we got to take that stuff off, and we got to put on compassion, kindness, humility. Then he says meekness. Now, for meekness, I have um, this chain I love to wear, and it's got a lion on it. And when I say meekness, a lot of you don't imagine a lion because when we say meekness, a lot of us think about weakness. We think meekness means weakness, but it doesn't. The Bible says that Jesus was meek. Jesus was meek. You know what meekness is? Meekness is strength under control. It's power with direction. Meekness is that soldier, that, that six foot six Navy SEAL guy that can go and own anybody in the real world. Like he could go and literally be in battle and be blood soaked, take a shower, come home. And he has that four year old son and he gets on his knees and his son comes and he tackles him and he falls down laughing with his son. That's meekness. Because could he kill his son? Could he out-wrestle him? Yes. But because he's meek, there's strength under control. There's power with direction, like a lion. Strong and powerful, but doesn't have to show it all the time. Every day we have to put on meekness. Hey, God, I can do this. I can do this. I can say this. I can post that. But I'm going to choose to bring it under my will because I'm meek. And I have enough strength to have control. So we put on compassion. We put on kindness. We put on humility and meekness. And then he says we put on patience. Now, how many of us struggle with patience? Can I just, me, I struggle with patience. And um, one of the biggest places where I learn patience is, um... no, I'm just kidding. You guys don't help me grow in patience. No, I put this on because I think this is where the season that God has us in. This patient season where God is like allowing us to learn and grow together as a church to see where he's taking us as a church family. But the Bible says patience is one of the strongest things we can practice. It actually says let patience have its full work in you so that you will be complete and lacking nothing. When we are patient, we are literally physically showing the world what God looks like right now because God is patient with us. And we have to choose to put on patience. I think this is, this is one of the banners over overflow. We just want to be patient with people. We just want to be patient with you. You're not, you don't have it all together now. You may not have it all together next week, but there's patience. We're going to love you anyway. And he's saying every day you have to put it on. Who struggles with patience again? Can I get a confession? I struggle with it, this is, right? So tomorrow morning when you wake up, let's put on some patience. Let's remember to, to put on patience. So he says compassion, kindness. This is amazing. Like we just get to put all this on every day. Humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. We've got to put on forgiveness. I have my my hoodie of forgiveness here. You got to put on it. Y'all like the representation? I got like overflow, and then I got my Water's Edge hoodie. Yeah. It takes time to put it on. It's not always easy. He says we got to put on forgiveness. You know why I put a hoodie on for forgiveness? Because forgiveness covers so many sins. Forgiveness is like a warm blanket. And I have a whole sermon I'm ready to unload on y'all with forgiveness. It's going to come in a couple weeks. But man, guys, this is one of the most freeing, joyful, peaceful things you can wear is forgiveness. And why do we forgive? He says, put on forgiveness, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. By the way, if you follow Jesus, forgiveness is not optional. He says you must, must also forgive. In other words, the hoodie of forgiveness for a Christ follower is not optional. You got to put it on every day. And you look at people that wrong you, and you can look at them and remember, I've been forgiven, so I forgive you. And if you struggle with forgiving someone else, I understand. But it may mean you're not in touch with how much you've actually been forgiven. And when you're in touch with how much you've actually been forgiven, you can extend that forgiveness to others. It's not easy. It's not natural. That's why it's called supernatural, and you got to put it on. And then finally he says, Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And above all these, the last layer you put on, verse 14, he says you got to put on love. You got to put on that love. That's why the title. the title of my message today is Suit Up. Everybody on the count of three say suit up. One, two, three. Suit up. And this looks entirely different from that. Because this has intentionality. I chose to put this on. And every day when we wake up, Colossians chapter 3 is saying, hey, there's some things, if your kingdom down, not culture up, there's some things you got to take off we got to take off that anger. We're not going to be an angry people. we got to take off that malice, that slander, that wrath, those evil thoughts and desires that obscene talk. Why? Because that's not heavenly. And if it's not heavenly, we don't want it because what is in heaven is what's best for us. And so we, as citizens of heaven, want to permeate this culture on the earth because it is one people will receive with love and joy. But in order to do that, there's some things we got to put on in the morning. you got to suit up. Everybody say suit up on the count of three. One, two, three we got to suit it up on Monday morning. we got to suit it up on Wednesday morning. And what happens when we suit it up? Verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the body, and to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father father through him did you catch the sequence when you take it off those things that aren't of god and then you put on the things that are of god of jesus he says then the peace of god comes you know why i can be peaceful because i put on compassion and kindness and love i can be at peace now and then when you're at peace it says then you're thankful Why? Because you have peace. Why? Because you're living like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for you. Because he died for you, you can live like him. You can put on what he puts on. You can have peace and then you can be thankful. And then it says out of gratitude, we sing. It says out of gratitude, that's why we sing. Because we have peace and we're thankful for the peace. And The reason we have the peace is because we put on the right things. Some of y'all come in here and you don't feel like singing. It's because you haven't taken off what you need to take off and you haven't put on what you need to put on. See, Paul kind of he, he slides down this slope of sexuality, idolatry, then the way we conduct ourselves in relationships, and what he ultimately lands on is identity. What he ultimately lands on is, where is your identity found? Have you put on the uniform of the kingdom yet? You step into the royal family when you say yes to Jesus. And we don't wear these things. We don't put these things on. We don't suit up every day so that way we can be on God's team. We suit up because we get to be on his team. And so we get to wear the uniform. We get to put on the God jersey. And one of the main ways we put on the God jersey, one of the main ways we suit up, one of the main ways we identify that we're on God's team is through baptism. I like to call baptism putting on the God jersey because it is the public visual representation of a decision you've made on the inside. It's like this wedding ring. This wedding ring doesn't make me married, but it lets you all know I'm on Stephanie's team. That water doesn't save you, but it lets everybody know, like putting on a jersey, I'm on God's team. I'm suiting up. And today, to finish out our time together, before we sing because we're grateful, we're going to get the opportunity to watch some people suit up and put on the God jersey, jump in the water, and get baptized. Who's ready to celebrate some baptisms today? Now, we got two baptisms as we watch people put on this God jersey and celebrate. And like Pastor Chad said earlier, if while you're watching this, you're like, I need to suit up. I've said yes to Jesus, but I've never taken the first step. Man, we're going to do it again next service. We got some people going to be baptized. You can do that today. You can make that decision today. Come and talk to us. But Pastor Chad, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you so we can baptize some people and watch them put on the God jersey.